0: Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Chase Parm and Neil McCready with a couple different interviews for you today. One with Reynolds Wolf of the Weather Channel. They talk about his career in meteorology, the path to the Weather Channel, how COVID 19 has affected his job, and more. And they also speak with Anna Berry. She's a higher education consultant about what the fall could look like for colleges around the U.S., the changing landscape of higher education and more in the wake of COVID-19. So that's coming to you on today's show, a show that's brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Speed Pass Plus app. Use it, download it, let it uh, take care of you a little bit. Don't have to touch much. The way to get fuel, the safest way possible right now at all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi, including the Oxford Exxon. And we're coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900 Highway 25 South there in Amory. Let Corey help you out. He will social distance. He'll travel to you. They'll make it work if you're in the car Buying situation right now, so uh, that's Clark Ford again in Amory six six two two five seven nineteen hundred, and we'll uh, kick off the show with Neil's interview with Reynolds Wolf of the Weather Channel. Reynolds Wolf
1: of the Weather Channel joins us here on the show. I've been looking forward to this all weekend because I was telling you a minute ago before we got started. I'm I'm kind of a weather nerd. I think uh, I, between I guess sort of living in what is now tornado country, but really where it started was living on uh, the Alabama. I lived in Mobile and, and Spanish Ford all those years, watching you had to watch hurricanes differently. Uh, you know, Ivan was the one that, that impacted us the most. And then of course I remember Katrina so well and all that stuff. And so you just you just live those people down there when you live along the coast, you 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 live with those storms in a different way than than when you I grew up in North Louisiana. So anyway, long story short, I'm excited to get you on to talk about weather and how you got into it and a whole lot of other things as well. So thanks for being with us.
2: Oh, hell yeah. and You're absolutely right. I mean, it's interesting. When you live in certain parts of the country, you become very savvy. So if you're on the Gulf Coast, damn straight, you know all about hurricanes. You know about tropical weather. I mean, better than than a lot of meteorologists do. If you live in the central plains you're dealing with, tornadoes north up north i mean the blizzards in california you're familiar with earthquakes i mean every region is going to have it to have its thing but man gulf coast uh, where, where you happen to be you, you get occasionally some decent tornadoes there too so a good good mix it's yeah good, it's good in some ways
1: we got out of there before the the christmas eve tornado that went through uh it was it's weird because we were there back at a time when we thought we would be there we, i thought we were going to be there for good and you know. uh the the girls were little i don't think Carson was born yet our our youngest and and it snowed on Christmas Eve and I can remember telling them go out and play in this because you'll never see it again you know I mean at your home and uh, and you know my wife was like it's cold it's wet I'm like yeah but they won't ever see it again and and then you know of course we moved and we we come to Oxford and and maybe the year after we moved here we got you know 11 inches 10 11 inches of snow or whatnot and i was like well i was, I was wrong about that but but yeah Absolutely. yeah you just you know you just never knew we're down there you could get anything at any different time but so i'm curious okay. you're you're about two months younger than me we're we're okay. we're basically the same age uh how did you get how did you get into weather what was it that that got you excited about weather? what was it that turned you on to that
2: oh gosh i mean uh I could give you the great canned response that I've given people over the years. I like, to be honest with you. And the, the honest thing about it is, man, I've got the attention span of a house fly. And, and the great thing about weather is that even if you live in a place like, say, well, i worked in Central Florida for a number of years, where it seems like every day is going to be the same high around 90, low is going to be 70, chance of showers in the afternoon. There's a subtle difference every single time. And, and I think that's what I love about it, that, that there's always some kind of – there's no carbon copy. You know what I mean? And doing what I do, thankfully, I'm not working in the same cubicle, Not, no offense to anyone who does. But I just think that the, that the variety of things you deal with, especially when you're covering national weather, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. There's always something, always something different that catches the eye.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that. You've been, you've been all over the place. You, you got your undergrad at, at Jacksonville State. You, yep. uh, you went to Mississippi State for your, I guess that would be a master's degree in, in, in broadcast uh, meteorology.
2: Just a, a Certificate in Broadcast Meteorology. Okay. And, and you know, what's funny is you, nowadays you can go on, on, on my gosh, just follow any person, any news team, any local station or even national, a national team, and you'll find more than a handful of Mississippi State. They're very well represented when it comes to meteorology. But you've got Penn State, you've got Oklahoma, Florida State's well represented. And, and what's great is a lot of these, these uh, meteorologists that we have the Weather Channel uh, they come from a great variety of these schools. All these schools have got great football teams. So trust me, when you have college football going on, the arguments, the conversations can be a lot of fun, can be heated at times. It just makes it more interesting. But, uh, yeah, educationally speaking, yeah, Mississippi State was where I got the certificate of meteorology. And then in TV, um, grew I, actually born in Charlotte, North Carolina, but lived all over the country as a kid. Mostly in Alabama, in, in uh, some elementary school, middle school, and high school. But professionally, uh, Anniston, Alabama, San Luis Obispo, California, Austin, Texas, Detroit, Michigan, uh, Orlando, Florida, St. Louis, then CNN for six years, the Weather Channel for seven. And the cool thing about that, Neil, that you'll notice is that I get to sample different climates all around the country, which overall, man, that's the best education in the whole world.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you got to go... Uh, literally coast to coast and all over the place, how much did that help you when you got into a national gig at CNN and then now where you're at the Weather Channel where I mean, you're having to kind of keep an eye on the entire country, probably the whole world at, at pretty much all yeah, times, no, but, right?
2: but the thing that's so great about when you're in local television, you're doing a lot of the work yourself. At the Weather Channel, one of the great things is you've got, there's so many people there behind the scenes that are so intelligent. These are people that should be working for NASA, for God's sake. They're so smart. So the work I do is actually less in terms of the forecasting because we've got guys who are, they've got their masters, they've got their doctorates in meteorology. So I always have a great source that I can go to for help, but in terms of just the presentation, the broadcasting, that's where where I've got to do that myself. But being around the country, the thing that really helps you is um, just in terms of geography, you're familiar with these areas. And uh, I got to tell you, man, that the first, the second job I had going to San Luis Obispo, let's see, um, again, we're about the same age, that was... Early nineties, ninety two, ninety three, and at that point, the 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 internet was in its infancy. Yeah. So going out there to the West Coast and leaving the Southeast was like saying goodbye to everything. There, you didn't have the social media. So I was saying goodbye to SEC football. I was saying goodbye to sweet tea. I was saying goodbye to <laughs> my my parents. I was saying goodbye so much. And then going out there, man. If you want to call home, do you remember MCI the ten cents a minute? I mean, that's the best deal you could possibly get.
1: I remember but, that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But, but <laughs> hey, you you go to the West Coast, and it, it was like being on Mars. And instead of, of being able to watch the SEC game of the week or this godforsaken Jefferson Pilot broadcast, you're now watching USC and Stanford. You're watching UCLA. And when when you would, if you ever were going through the airport. I can't believe I'm saying this. You'd see someone wearing a, a, a an Alabama T-shirt. You, you'd want to break down in tears because it was yeah. something that reminded you of home. And uh, so, yeah, but that was the best education. And long story short, that's that helps not only meteorologically, but geographically, but also socially. I mean, you grow up when you do those kind of things. I mean, damn, I'll bet, I bet you learned a lot more in your industry and what you do as a journalist by – Real world experience a hell of a lot more than when you were in school. Has to be
1: that way. Oh yeah, um, you know, as a writer, I mean, I've told this story before. Not, to, and I don't want to make this interview about me. It's about you, but it's it's interesting because I've had people tell me, you know, your 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 school and, and stuff. You know, had, did you learn how to be a writer? I am like, no, nah, yeah. man, I don't. I don't know that you can teach somebody how to be a writer. Um, you know, I, I I didn't. I was in broadcast in in college at Ole Miss. Uh, in, in my undergrad. And then I got a master's degree at, uh, Harvard on the bike. Uh, wow. right. Actually it was in Louisiana Monroe, but you know, it was a great water <laughs> skiing school. And, um, I mean, you had to have a pulse to get the degree. They did not, if you were dead, they would not give it to you. you. You had to, you had to have a pulse the whole way through. Um, but you know, I mean, I was in like communications, which was a lot of marketing and public yeah. relations and stuff like that. And, and, Man, I I didn't think I was going to be a writer. I I I mean, you know, I was about to take a job in Nashville in some PR deal, probably making peanuts, and I would have been absolutely miserable. Looking back on it, and and um, I got a, a newspaper job offer out of the blue because they were desperate. I mean, let's be real they they acted like, oh yeah, we heard about you. The truth was they called over to Ole Miss and they said, hey, are there any recent grads who don't have jobs who who uh, you know or or whatever who who might who might be any good. And someone remembered me. It'd been a year and a half. And it was like, yeah, you ought to call him. I think he's still uh, bartending or something. And and yeah. so, you know, I, t- I took the job because why not? And, and uh, discovered, and, and I kind of learned how to be a, a, a print journalist on the fly. I mean, I, I was lucky. I had a, a couple of really good mentors. And then uh, I got to Birmingham and I, got, I took a job at the Birmingham post Herald at a newspaper that was going defunct. And it was like, you know, you're probably not good enough to do what what we. You know, 15 years earlier, I would have had no chance at that job, but yeah. at that point, I got the job, and it's okay. Sponge man, learn as much as you can, and, and you're right. I just started learning, and and they would send me out to do stuff, and I would do it, and then I got lucky. The Auburn beat fell open right as Auburn was opening fall camp. It was uh, Terry Bowden's last year, for your reference. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that beat opens up. You remember Steve Kirk?
2: i do very well
1: okay so sure so steve kirk was the auburn beat writer at uh the birmingham post herald and and steve and i knew each other we were friends and i i did looking back i did the really smart thing uh, my my wife probably thought at the time what, what are we doing I mean, this is not what i bargained for but i was working in news at the post herald covering courts and police and fire and stuff like that and i would freelance i told them i just want to cover some sports please let me in it lets me make a little extra money and whatnot and you know they had to clear it through human resources and all that stuff but finally they did and they'd let me go cover a high school game on friday night and i'd cover a high school game a lot of times on uh, on thursday nights uh, you remember the old uh they took the old legion field turf itself and they put it at uh oh man, it's that little, it's that little stadium over there, uh, kind of in Irondale. We live pretty I
2: know exactly what you're talking about. I sure do. Yeah.
1: Sure do. So we, be, I go cover games there on Thursday night, on Friday night. Um, and then, you know, so those guys knew me a little bit. And, and when that job opened up, I kind of had another opportunity and I was able to say to the, the post Herald. So look, here's the deal. I mean, I, I don't know whether you, I've got a shot at this Auburn gig or not, but I'd like to apply for it. And if you don't want, if I'm not good enough for it, I get it. I'm I'm gonna but I'm gonna go take this other job. I know this sounds like an ultimatum, but it's not. It's it's not. It's it's I, I'm I've got an opportunity to get into sports. I think I'd like to get into sports and I'd rather stay here. And so they because the you know, it was like, well, I mean, they're practicing now. My first day on that beat was I think their third or fourth practice. And so of that year it was uh the year that ben leard was the starter i think for the first time okay yeah sure. it was, you know it was, yeah and, and 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 so i got there and it was just you know chicken with your head cut off and terry bowden quits midway through the season and 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 you know i'm just i'm just scrambling so yeah i learned so much just on the job probably in the same way you did when you're out in california and you're doing weather and you don't know anybody you don't know your way around you don't know anything and you just you you, you eat or die really
2: yeah, you're, you're treading water. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that. And, and it is—it's uh, funny though how how those jobs, how have they there's this involvement, How you said you were in news, then from news you you slowly gravitate, and then you you're you're in the world of of sports. But you find it weird too, because this has certainly happened to me over the years. There's been this, um, I guess, this transformation in the industry where it's more than just doing say a newscast or five, six, and eleven. All of a sudden, with the 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 you insert social media into stuff. You you have different expectations. There is a, a metamorphosis that happens. Like for you, for example, uh, the, I'm sure that you'll get certain amount of clicks for an article for a piece that you'll put together on Ole Miss. But I'm sure now your job is we have to have content. They want video. They want they want post game analysis immediate. It's got to be within 30 minutes after after the game is over. I mean, I'm sure you've got. There's been this this total sea change in
1: what you do. Yeah, and it it keeps changing. Absolutely, absolutely. You you know, it's like uh, your friend Jay Tate, who's a great friend of mine, you know that, and it's kind of how we got to meet each other a little bit was through Jay, and he and I started that greatest pot in the South, and our careers have overlapped. Uh, He started on the Auburn beat the same year that I did, literally like – I think his first weekend on the beat was the weekend that Bowden quit. And it was, oh, which is, God. can you imagine? I mean, it's just I like cannot. it's just here. You're in the deep end. Good luck. I mean, it basically was that. And and, uh, and and he's working at a at a Gannett paper at the time, the Montgomery Advertiser, that would not let him use unnamed sources. So he wow. had, had no chance. I anyway, mean, just you are beat. You know, you're done. Yeah. And so anyway, I mean, we've known each other all these years, and we've been friends, and and. I kind of watched the way that he changed the way that he covered Auburn, doing a lot of these shows and stuff. And I would watch it and go, "That's genius!" And yeah. I need to do that. And so, I mean, you know, you know this. I mean, I'm sure it's this way in in, in covering weather. You, you, Absolutely. You you watch people, and if they do it well, you emulate, right? I mean, it's the way it's like professional football. If, if you if you watch a team win a Super Bowl or two, everyone else starts to copy what they're doing. If a defensive scheme stops, like if some defensive coordinator can figure out a way this year to slow down Patrick Mahomes, everyone's going to start to try to copy it. It's Absolutely. the it's the whole deal. I mean, that's life's that way. It's not just sports. It's if if Jim Cantori is covering something a certain way, and you're like, that's genius. You're going to try to maybe not copy it where it's obvious that you copied it. But you're going to steal some of that.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, you will emulate part of of, of his performance. I mean, my God, how many people have, have tried to copy Ted Williams' swing? You know what I mean? In baseball. I mean, you, you see these things that do work. You, you put it beautifully. Uh, how many people are want to be Belichick's? How many people want to be Patriots following that organization? Or, or, my gosh, the Bulls. It was so great. This great documentary that I know you guys have been watching, I've been watching crazy about. So how good. many teams you compare to? What they did in that magical time in the in the late '80s and early '90s, mid '90s, uh, and they were still talking about today. But uh, it is weird. Do you think, though? I, I'm sorry to keep asking these questions. No, it's good. Do You think, though, that, that technology will destroy sports coverage in a way that that will never have another Grantland Rice, like the way Grantland Rice was able to to write about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Uh, four Horsemen of the of the of the, is it the apocalypse. Yeah, the uh, the Notre Dame yeah. thing. The Four Horsemen. Do you think that now people who would be great writers would not be able to conjure up those beautiful words because they're trying to get a podcast together? You follow what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: No. It's it's really interesting. It's a conversation that I've had with other people. Um, my answer a year ago would have been this kind of downtrodden yes. Yeah. And it's changed now because I look out and I look at the athletic and the stuff that they're doing, and it's it's, it's genius, and they're out hiring these great writers people who are a lot of a lot of them who are friends of mine and 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 they're giving them a platform to uh, to write differently I'll tell you a conversation I had along these lines it was pretty interesting was I was talking to Andy Staples you probably know Andy and and uh, good. yeah Andy's great and you know for years and years Andy covered Florida and then he covered college football and they would send him on the road right to this game of the week college game of the week in Auburn and Tennessee or or Alabama LSU or whatever. And, you know, he'd go and he'd cover the game, and and, and you'd realize that after the game, it's just this scrum. You don't get anything, it's just a scrum. And so, what he started doing is he now goes on the road during the week and then comes back and he watches, he spends the weekend uh, watching games at home, and then he does a podcast. Uh, as soon as the, the final game is over, he does a podcast into the wee hours of the morning, wrapping up the weekend. And But, but it allows him the time, uh, and guys like him, the time to produce some really deep dives. I, I do think, you know, like Grantland Rice was known for, you know, some of his profiles and, and and his game coverage and stuff like that. I think game coverage has changed in a way that I don't I don't know that we'll ever go back to that. I don't know that, you know, because if you think about it, right, you were talking about Auburn so let's let's talk about when you were at San Luis Obispo and and, okay. and you know Auburn played that I guess what would that be the ninety two the ninety three season seasons like that and uh, you know you couldn't see the game unless it was on national television and this was before the SEC network and Auburn played a lot of national television games, but not every game was on national television and so you would read about the game, but now you know if you really like it's my audience, I mean they're all the, the, the people that subscribe to my site. The odds of them not watching the Ole Miss game on Saturday are pretty low. So rather than me recount the game, hey, uh, you know, Matt Corral threw for two touchdowns and and uh, you know Jerry and Ely ran for another as as Ole Miss beat Baylor twenty seven to twenty four. They know that. They 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 need analysis. They want why why did it go well? Why did it go badly? Um, And then they want to be entertained. They want community. They want network. They want to feel like they know you. I, I I think it's the same way. Uh, for the we- I was thinking about this for the Weather Channel. I mean, you know, Jay jokes around about uh, different people that he likes or whatever. You know, well, I mean- Julie,
2: Martin, Julie Martin's one of them. Uh, Kelly Cass, yeah. So, yeah, and they're they're great people. Like, yeah, they, he it's uh, you you have a very very strange relationship with him because it, he it, it, when, well when it comes to television, it's almost though you you have a very. It's a weird bond that that the viewer will form with an on-air person, just like a, like like viewers or listeners f- will form with you. Same kind of same rules apply. Sure, really, really. I mean, that's how I've always seen it.
1: The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Been telling you for a while that uh travel's going to get back to normal. It's not there yet, but we're headed in that direction. I got a note from John just the other day. He was letting me know about some uh, things that are either opened or are about to open out there. If you want to interested in those and you want to get in touch with him, uh, check out Kohler, Wisconsin. Four golf courses just opened on April the 24th. Uh, great deals there in Kohler. The Watercolor Inn in Seaside, Florida. Uh, it, it opened on May 1st. Beach access pools as well. Uh, the Kiswa Island in uh, South Carolina. All the hotels, the villas, and the homes they opened on. Uh, they open on May the sixteenth. Two golf courses, uh, pools, beaches, also in South Carolina and Hilton Head, the Sea Pines Resort uh, there in Hilton Head. Hotels, uh, homes. May the sixteenth. Golf courses, pools, beaches opening as well. And then, uh, if you want a little something more, a little more exotic in uh, the British Virgin Islands, sailboat rentals with full crew. Uh, all of that stuff. Opening up on June the 2nd. Up to three couples. Total of $14,500. All inclusive. If you want to get away and enjoy travel. Things are opening up. You want to get in touch with John. 901-494-3387. Or send him an email. edwards at RegencyTravel.net. First time clients save $50 off their first book trip. Just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel. On the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB. Locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the benefit, the benefits of home, uh, all the comforts and benefits that you're used to from the big mega banks, except they give you a personal touch. All the technology and products you want, but there's no buttons to push, no wait. You get a live person when you call. Great customer service. At OUB, you also get Kasasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. And with it, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. Amber brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors. She sponsors my weekly mailbag on rebelgrove.com, and she can also serve you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. To get in touch with Whitney, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844.
3: So someone like is you is
1: crazy. out in the field, at a, you know, and, and, and we're, we're on Tornado Watch, or, you know, I think Cantor, Cantoria is so famous for, you know, chasing the hurricanes around. I know that your first assignment with uh – with uh, the Weather Channel was was I think Hurricane Isaac if I if I'm remembering correctly, um, you know pe- people are watching that then so they're watching hours on end you know because Cantori's out there in the in the surf and the wind and stuff and telling you oh, here, here's what's coming and here's where it's going and 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 so you, you, they do they get to know they want to feel like they know the person and and that's that you have to you have to have personality you have to have more than just than than just broadcast talent you have to have the ability to let your guard down and let people know who you are a little bit otherwise I just I think people's atten- you mentioned your attention span. I think most people's attention span is short. They, they move on to something else. You have to be somewhat compelling as a as an individual.
2: I've always thought just the laid back approach always works better. I mean, being buttoned up and, and too too stiff too, too formal, it just doesn't it doesn't resonate with people. And I think it's it's like you're trying to have a conversation, just like uh, like in the podcast. So the, to me, the very best podcasts are when you have more of a. I'm not announcing. I'm talking. Actually. I'm not I'm not broadcasting. I'm 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 having a conversation with you. And and uh it definitely uh, I definitely see that in a lot of things you guys have done, especially greatest pod in the, in podcast in the South. Well how, how many podcasts are you doing now? How many do you have?
1: Um I guess I do I do five. One that's one that's uh daily and then and then four that are weekly.
2: Yeah, see lack of structure in some ways, not saying that all podcasts are a lack of structure, but having just more of the laid back just kind of loosening up delivery, I think, is so much better. It's really compelling. You know, we've done that in a variety of ways in the Weather Channel, and it's not just with straight-up weather, but we've also incorporated sports at a time. You know, I know you, you obviously, one of your, your great sites, the Rebel Grove, uh, actually spent some time in in Oxford uh, in several different campuses. Weather Channel did this thing two years ago called the 100 Yards of Weather. And the idea behind it is that we would meet with a head coach, college coach, and we would start at the at the – basically one end zone and walk 100 yards and have a conversation with these coaches. And we would speak about nothing about basically just whether and how it pertains to football. Sure. And one of the guys I had a great conversation with Matt Luke, I, I found him so incredibly charming, such a nice guy, very genuine with his time. And and one way that I'm always trying to judge people is how they act away from the camera before the microphone is on and i found him to be one of the more genuine people i ever met however i don't mean this i mean this in a very good way i found him as the kind of guy that i would prefer to have as a teammate as opposed to a head coach if that makes sense
1: sure absolutely you know he the word you use use for him is the word that i've used for him many times is genuine i mean that's who he is he's he's a super guy uh, you know, I, I hated his deal. I, was talking, I think Jay, Jay and I talked about this yesterday. I hated that it didn't work out for him because he was so genuine. And, and frankly, the two people before him in that job were, were, were not particularly genuine. And a lot of football coaches, for whatever reason, they they stop being themselves when they become a head coach. And, and, and they become yeah. this robot or you know, it's like Saban sometimes, like, I've never sent an email. It's like, oh, for the love of God, of course you've sent an email. I mean, you, I mean yep. maybe you've had people do it for you, but you're aware of emails. I mean, you know, I, I didn't realize the election was today. Oh, stop. I mean, yes, you did. I mean, that, that, is, that is simply not true. If you were that inflexible, you wouldn't have made it this far. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't be as successful as you are as a coach if you were so inflexible that you could literally not know that this first Tuesday in November is an election that, that is highly anticipated that is in in this case was either going to result in Donald Trump becoming the president or the first female president in the country's history. There was no way you didn't know that was going on today. Now, if you told me that, Hey, this, I, I I haven't thought about it all day because I've been worried about this offense or I've been worried about a recruiting thing. Okay, yeah, I, I buy that. But when yeah. you say I had no idea today was election day, I just <laughs> I, I I turn that off. I, I I and I'm not ripping on Saban necessarily, but there's a lot of coaches that are that way. And I think it's I think it's fake. It it, it bothers me in a way that it really shouldn't. And sometimes yeah. I I feel like a hypocrite because I I, I don't. Follow up, but I would have loved for someone to have been in that room and said, "Come on,
2: yeah." Do you think he's? If you ever been around him away from cameras, is he a different animal?
1: Yeah, he's he's okay. I've been around him a couple of times. Um, I was in Mobile, and (laughs) you'll you'll love this story. It was stupid on my stupid on my part. I was in Mobile, and I was doing a radio show in WNSP three to six every day. The station was owned by an Alabama booster. Yeah, oh god. Yeah. Step one, Neil. Come on. Um, <laughs> anyway, one of the callers called in. They knew I'd covered LSU a lot in the years that Nick Saban was at LSU. And he called in and he, he said, do you think that uh, Jamarcus Russell got extra uh, benefits to go to LSU? And I said, yes. Yeah, because he did. Yeah. And uh, the next question was, do you think that Nick Saban knew about it? And I gave what I thought was a pretty nuanced answer, which is the true answer, which was I said, well, did he did he have plausible deniability? yeah did he did he basically know that LSU did something to get him? Of course. yeah, otherwise they wouldn't have gotten him. <laughs> and so i'm at I'm at the uh SEC spring meetings uh, in Destin a couple months later, I guess. And I see Alabama's SID come up to me. He's now at Texas A&M. He comes up to me, and, and he he's looking for me. And I'm down there t- talking to people. At the time, I was interviewing Van Chancellor, who at the time was the LSU women's basketball coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm just putting together notebooks and stuff for spring meetings, and and, and I see him wanting to talk to me. And, and so I kind of cut it short, and Nick Saban's there. And Saban wanted to have a conversation about that radio conversation and he was fine he, he told me he didn't appreciate it and he, he thought it questioned his integrity and I, I said well I didn't say that you did it I said that I was asked if you knew about it and, and I have to I have to say that I think you probably did and he told me again that was questioning his integrity and it was fine I mean it was a fine conversation it wasn't nasty and he told me that he appreciated the job that we had to do and you know that he wanted to have good relationships with the at the time I was a columnist at the mobile register and he he, he wanted to have good relationships, but. I'd be lying if I told you I didn't walk away from that conversation thinking my days in in yeah. my days in Mobile, my days in Alabama are, are numbered. I mean, I knew they I kind of knew they were because I wasn't oh, yeah. I wasn't going to to acquiesce and march to that beat and, and become, you know, Roll Tide Billy in in Mobile and and I knew if I didn't do that it was probably going to get a little testy and 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 it did and um, you know, and, and, and you know how this is, because I'm sure you've moved on from places where maybe when you moved on from CNN, you thought, you know, I don't know, if I, am I doing the right thing or whatever? But a lot of times change happens, and it turns out that it was the greatest thing that could happen to
2: you. Yeah, and that's, that's part of it. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I just had a conversation, a, a Zoom conversation with some Auburn graduates, some guys who are graduating these year, guys and girls. And, and that's one of the things I brought up is that, that it really is a journey when it comes to your career. Uh, you know, those people in, in Mobile, they didn't deserve you. They did not deserve you.
1: And, and uh well, I wouldn't say that but 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 you know what I mean? I mean, it just it was time it was it was it was yeah. time. I'd been there long enough, and it was time to do something new and you know the mistake that I made i was, I was looking at your career you jumped around and, oh, and, and and you know the mistake that I made early in my career, and it's like if i whenever I talk to young people, I tell them this, and sometimes you can tell it intimidates them, it scares them a little bit is, is especially now with all the technology is you know move. See yes. different, see different places. Uh, challenge yourself. Go to different, go to different places. Go to different markets. Whether you're in in meteorology or you're in, you want to be in sports, or whether you're wanting to cover uh, politics or or law or whatever it is that you're wanting to do journalistically. Absolutely. S- go I mean, as many biggest, places as you can.
2: Yeah, I know. The biggest obstacles that we will face in our lives are usually self-imposed. And if you stay in one spot, and that is going to be your fishbowl, and you happen to be that, you're not going to grow any bigger than that bowl itself. And you know what? If there aren't a lot of opportunities there, then you've got to hop. You got you got to go different places. But it it is funny when it comes to the, to the career, you will run into places where sometimes things do not do not fit. I when I when I worked in St. Louis, Missouri, that was one of the most miserable jobs I've ever had in my life. It was a great town, and like St. Louis, but the, the station was just just the management was just awful. Uh, and there, there are times you'll, you'll have stops in your career. When I was in Orlando, uh, I've been fired twice in my career. I I was let go in Orlando. And, and I know looking back, I did not work as hard as I should have. I did. I didn't put 110% into my job like I should have. And, and you, you learn and you roll and you build and you get the experiences and you, you, if you, when you make mistakes, you don't repeat them. When you do great things, you, well, you try to repeat that. Um, but it's interesting uh, the the things that you do take with you in this career, and when good things do happen, you work at great places. You appreciate it. You really do. I, I appreciate the great time I had at CNN. That was a wonderful place I worked. Gosh, it was, it's it's changed a lot in the last six years. Uh, the Weather Channel, and I'm not not saying it's just because of my my current employer, which they are, but easily the greatest the greatest bosses I've ever had, far and away. And and when you have that, and you've got That kind of just positive flow, man. It 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 really it it makes life really happy. You know, Uh, but
1: I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're 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 onto something because I it's it's it's, I've been the the thing I I get this question in my mailbag every week about you know are you are you enjoying the last dance and and I am I'm loving it. I'm you and I are the same age as we've talked about, so this is like this is like oh, it's memory lane in so many ways. I mean, it's so cool and and uh, but the one thing I've really loved about it is my 13 almost 14 year old son is a sports nut and he misses sports and 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 he's in the past you know we've talked about he'll ask you know who who's the best player ever dad is it lebron and i'm like well lebron's great but i mean i'm not sure he's as good as jordan or i'm not sure he's as good as kobe or whatever and he didn't see kobe until kobe was at the end you know so he he saw he didn't see kobe as a dog when kobe was just nasty you know and and he never saw jordan and now he gets to see this and he's so into it but what i one of the things i love about it is we have a a, a tendency the further we get away from from something in history to just tell the good yeah and you know when you if you just tell the michael jordan story from a a thousand feet up or thirty thousand feet up it's yeah man he won six titles and he was awesome And he was the MVP six times in the finals and couldn't beat the Bulls. The Bulls were just amazing. It's all true. But what they don't don't touch on in, in that, and this documentary has done such a good job of it, and for the kids who are paying attention, it's such a life lesson. It didn't come easy. He had to lose to the Pistons first. He had to lose to the Celtics. He had to lose, and then he had to lose to the Pistons. And you know that he had to lose that game seven to the Pistons. That was, that was painful, Uh, you know, and, and and he had to look himself in the mirror. Michael Jordan had to look himself in the mirror and say, okay, what do I do? And I got to get stronger. I got to get tougher. I have to become a better teammate. And it was, I I pointed it out last night when, you know, I guess those night before the week before last, they showed it again last night. So we watched, we watched four hours of it last night, but it it came on again. and, And that game, uh, Game five against the Lakers when the Bulls won their first title in that fourth quarter, he kept going to John Paxson, who made the big shots to, to, put, yep. uh, to put the Bulls over the top and give them their first of the six titles. And that was a lesson that he had to learn, you know, kind of the hard way. And that was like that old school NBA that you and I grew up with. You know, the the Pistons, the Pistons had to get humiliated by the Celtics, before they could they could get to the finals, and then they had to lose to the Lakers before they could learn how to win the finals. Uh, the, the you know the the Lakers the Lakers were the 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 team. The Lakers and, and Celtics went back and forth, and the Sixers stole one that you know. And it was so all the painful losses they had, and you with almost with without fail, you had to fail before you could succeed. That's part of the the, the great story. There is that. Michael Jordan had failure his his career wasn't perfect I mean it was awesome he's the goat but but there was failure there and and there are life lessons because I mean not you know the number of us that are going to play professional basketball is really small but you can learn a lot from that that documentary I think it's been incredibly well done I've loved it on multiple levels
2: what what a great what a great teaching aspect that happens to be for kids and what a great reminder for those of us who who have experienced things that as you mentioned you know that's uh it's it's so incredible.
1: Because uh, getting fired sucks, man. Getting fired yeah. is this gut yes. punch. I mean, even if even if you know it's coming, and I didn't. When I got fired from the radio station, I don't know about you in Orlando. I, di- I didn't know it was coming, and yeah, it was uh, it was devastating, man. It was it was a it was an absolute it was absolutely devastating. I mean, I I, I, re- I remember that feeling in my gut that that did not go away for a few days. That fear that just I mean, you know, a lot of people are dealing with it now in the pandemic, through no fault of their own, and 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 it's it's it is terrifying when it happens to you.
2: It is. It's the spookiest thing in the world. Yeah. It's it's uh it's it's humbling. It's humbling. You you lose your self confidence. I mean, it's um, but I mean, gosh, Almighty. I mean, once you do make make it through and you write the ship, uh, in a sense, I'm better for it. You know, if that makes sure. any sense. I do, In I, what it, way? It was, how, it, did, how
1: did it improve I, you?
2: My guy, it made me appreciate a good situation. It made me work harder. It, it also at the same time uh, made me seek a, a spot where I would truly be happy. I mean, I I was just kind of bored. I was bored of the situation there that, that I had. That really nice station, wonderful people, but uh, we just weren't producing. Uh it, it just our, our numbers were were just Awful. And uh, as it happens in television, normally you will be in a situation, you'll be in a spot, usually signed to say a, it could be a two to five year deal. And at that end of that, that 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 span, if your numbers have not, if you haven't had an increase, well then changes are usually made. And sometimes the changes happen to be personnel. It does happen. It's very similar in some respects, I think, to, to college coaching. How... You'll be a coach at a certain place, and if you have great success, well, you're there. You sign multiple, several contracts. And if you don't, well, you get Mike Shulett, or you get – I mean, you, you pick your, you pick your, your spot. Um, but it's, it's very, very interesting. Uh, when you are um, in this business, like you were saying earlier, how you try to, to emulate the great broadcasters, usually the ones who are most successful are those that, no duh, have been in one spot for a pretty long time. But, but coming up, like, it, like I was very to the coaching ranges. We pick any coach. Pick someone like Gus Malzahn, and you'll see all the stops he made before he got to be where he is today. Yeah. And you look at where you have been and your track record of where you have been and where you're going. And, 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 and that's why I told these kids I spoke to the other day from Auburn, I mentioned that you are in the baby steps of, of really a journey that you're going to take. But uh, it is interesting how how sports can be a parallel that we can apply lessons there to to our own life. And speaking of sportsmen, did you watch any of the Kentucky Derby coverage?
1: Did I was getting late? I was getting ready to ask you about it because I, I I did not know that you were such a horse person until the weekend, and I saw uh, your photos, and then I saw you talk about the Woodford Reserve. I always see that bottle all the time. I saw it just the other day, in fact, and I remember thinking when I saw it, I'm like, oh man, that's Yet another yeah. thing that just sucks, you know, that I'm so used to. Um, so you grew up, that was horse, I guess horse racing and stuff was a was a big part of your life. It was a huge deal uh, for your father, right?
2: Well, I mean, we were into, we showed horses. We showed Arabians. We showed, we had quarter horses. We had Tennessee walking horses. But we're never into the, the horse racing. But when you're in... The horse community. When you're in the equine community, anything that's horse kind of attracts you. So my family really into, we really enjoyed the horse racing. Uh, my dad, especially, huge, huge uh, derby fan, tremendous horse racing fan, and, and loved the history and the pageantry of it and the tradition and and whatnot. And uh, I'll tell you, man, watching that computer generated, simulated cartoon thing of the the, the triple crown winners. I was in the middle of that, drinking a mint julep, and it dawned on me, for God's sake, I'm I'm excited watching a cartoon. (laughs) It is time for sports to come back. It is. We've gotten to this point where we're we're celebrating those things. Now, that being said, I'm not trying to dwell on this over and over again, but it really does. I think regardless of where we were or where we would be in terms of the lack of sports, the, the Last Dance documentary is unbelievable. It is so well done
0: take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Settle County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting to understand your market, a leader in condo financing in Oxford, and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate, 662-234-2704, or J-L-O-W-E at mtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford, also Tyson Drugs on the square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visitoxfordms.com is the website. Click the very top to see how to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between two and some other options that you have. Again, visit oxfordms.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24 hour access to appointments at 662 767. 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They have been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more Text or call 662-681-6241. So let me, but, let me go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm done man. What do
1: you, how how has this? Because I'm gonna get I'm to get your thoughts on football and stuff in a minute. But I'm I'm really curious because normally you guys I mean look the weather do, the weather doesn't stop just because there's a pandemic. Uh, I mean there's still storms. We're still watching stuff. It's uh, you know I guess it's still kind of tornado season. We're getting to the tail end of that. But you know we're approaching the summer where there's going to be hurricane season and all of those things. For, for you, how has the uh, how has the pandemic changed day-to-day operations? How has it changed travel? How has it changed the way that, that you all are, are doing your jobs?
2: Okay, great conversation. Great, great question. Uh, last time I was out covering a storm, a, a big, big storm, was in, let's see, uh, January went to Detroit to cover a snowstorm uh, until last week. Last week, I had to pack up and go to Savannah, Georgia, to cover – possibly a tornado outbreak and went to Savannah and other than truck stops being busy, I, I drove there. didn't fall. I drove down there, uh, rented a car. I drove down there because you never want to drive your own car. If you're going to be in a place where there could be substantial storm damage, you don't want your car to be very apart by wind or by trees or hail or picked off that kind of thing. Yeah. So you always rent a car, but, uh, went all the way down to Savannah and it was me and it was my photographer and we checked into a hotel and very nice hotel right there on the Savannah river. Other than the person at the front desk, one security guard, and one person who was the maid, uh, my photographer and I were the only people in the hotel. And I can't tell you how bizarre, how eerie, how strange that happens to be. Because when we travel, especially during winter weather, usually the hotels are full and people aren't moving around. But in some ways, it's something we dealt with before when it comes to rough weather in the sense of hurricanes because you being in hurricane country for many years you know that when you have hurricanes and and they come anywhere close to to making landfall in your area what do people do they evacuate yeah. they take off so many times neil we will check into a hotel that could be along the coast could be in texas could be alabama's coast louisiana where have you usually we're going to a place that has been destroyed or soon might be so Usually we are the only people that go into a hotel, and what happens? We check into a hotel, we, we fill up the bathtubs full of ice, we cover those up with towels, because that could be a refrigerator for the rest of the week. Uh, so I imagine going into this hurricane season and dealing with COVID-19, I think in some ways we're not going to see a whole lot of change as to how we broadcast. But what is going to be interesting is the next time I hop on an airplane, and I haven't done that since January. That's going to be strange going through the airport and not seeing the the, the same rush of people going through TSA, going through to the gate, going through the uh, Delta clubs or what have you. It's it's going to be a different animal. It really will be, and that's uh, I'm not looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, and and the people, everyone's going to be wearing a mask. I think for a while on planes, I, th- I think they're going to require it. I saw where it's a lot of the uh, the airlines are opening up some more flights here in the, in the next week or two. And, and they're making mask a requirement and there's going to be the people that I'm not making fun of them. They're not, they, they're, are people who feel like that, that is a violation of their civil liberties and they are going to push back. And I, that's the one part that I'm kind of glad that I don't travel like I used to, because I would dread having just to watch that. Just, okay, what are we going to do? Or you know, I, oh, yeah. do you know, do you, it, go, do you go pull the person off the flight? I mean, what, how does that work?
2: How, how does any of this work? How the hell does any of this stuff work? I mean, it's it's so strange. I was telling my kids the other day that there are going to be some fluctuations with this when we when we try to go back and establish some sense of of, of normality. I I was saying some things are gonna go, some things are gonna stick around. I, I told them I think we were talking about snow days earlier. Uh I think, in a sense, snow days, in some sense, may disappear because now instructors know how to get lessons to parents at home. Yeah. So kids having a day away from school, you're still going to have some kind of education that day. I think that's going to be that, – that's gone. Um, Trying to think of other things that I think will will never come back. I mean, do you think that we'll ever have, like, the mosh pits at concerts? Are we ever going to have uh, uh, a stadium full of 100,000 people? Is that going to happen to watch a football game? I mean, I'm still wondering how in the hell they're going to do that when we get to the, the fall, when we get to the winter. How are we going to do it in the spring? All right, let
1: me, let me ask you this way because I'm curious. Sure. So you have—I know you have four children, right? Three girls and a boy. Is that right?
2: Three girls and a boy.
1: So what are their what's their age range?
2: My my oldest is thirteen years old. Thirteen years old. It's a girl, girl, boy, girl. My youngest
1: is six. Okay, so you've got four children, thirteen to six. Oh yeah. And uh, you and your wife Erin, let's say uh, a weekend comes around, and uh, I don't know, pick a game. Auburn is uh, let's say it's here. Auburn's playing uh, Ole Miss in in mid September, and. Someone says, "Hey, uh, here's some here's some tickets. Uh, we're gonna get together in Oxford, and and uh, you you can come come visit our our tailgate in the Grove, and you got four seats on the 45 to to watch the Rebels and the Tigers play, and 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 it's gonna be a big game, and Lane Kiffin's first SEC home game, yeah, all that stuff. Big game, exciting. Kids are like, yeah, Dad, I want to go see the game. Let's go.' Let's let's cheer, in your case, cheer on the Tigers." How comfortable are you going to be? Let's say that the the heat this summer kind of does to this virus what it does to a lot of viruses and, and burns it off. And yet we don't know, is it coming back with a vengeance or is it not? What's it doing? We don't know everything about the, the virus. There's not a vaccine for it in in September. How comfortable are you and and your wife going to be? Uh, loading up the car there in the Atlanta area and making the I guess five hour drive over to Oxford for a weekend of college football.
2: It's my God, that's that's a great question, and I I'm I don't know if I've got an answer. I don't know if anybody has an answer. I mean, do we do we know that answer at at the end of May? Do we know that answer in 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 July? I we I hope we I hope we know in September. I really do. That is something. Um, see, you know what's amazing is think about if if you're asking me this question. In December, it's a no-brainer. You're going to the game. You're going to the Grove. Isn't yeah, it amazing sure. how this one virus on the other side of the planet has turned everything upside down?
1: It's you know what's fascinating to me, and and I, I watched this morning on Twitter, and there was one person. I, I won't name names because I don't want to out anybody or people. I don't want to offend anybody because I, I try to be pretty open-minded about it. I watched one person who I really trust in the of in, a uh, national person who okay was really downplaying it. Hey, this thing is just not what it was modeled to be. It's it's mostly it's it's if you take nursing home numbers out, the numbers are completely different. If you know someone said, Why is it, it, one of the questions was why has Florida not been impacted more than it has? Well it was the answer was well, yeah. because they really locked down their their nursing homes. And then I saw another person, a female person, whose father is a medical person in New York who talked about just how devastating this is and how we should not be reopening anything right now. And, and, and she, she did so in, 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 compelling fashion. And, and while I, I side more with the, uh, the let's open things back up than I do the other. I mean, it was still a compelling argument that that she made. It, it's so fascinating to me that as we, as we sit here, you know, I guess two months into a, the pandemic and, and and the big conversations or you know what happens with schools and what happens with football and and the stuff that i'm working on every day is what you just said is we really don't know and and it's may the 4th and 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 maybe on june the 4th we'll have a better idea and certainly on july the 4th in 2 months we'll we should have a much better idea but by july the 4th some decisions have got to be made already and and we're going to either decide you know as a society that hey we're going to take some chances or we're not
2: you know, it's weird, though. I, I, do wonder, I do wonder if 10 years from now we're going to look back and see some of these measures and say, that was really stupid. Some of these things we did were really, really dense. And then look back at some of these things and say, my God, that was pure genius. And I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of both. Uh, what's, what's interesting is if you if you study American history and you think about the cholera outbreaks, and I had so many people that died from that. There was a time when they thought that cholera was something that was spread by air. Well, it's it spread by by human waste and drinking water. That's how it goes around. But, uh, I mean, the way, the way we've advanced medically, um, I, I do wonder I do wonder what we're going to be seeing in the next 20, 30 years. I mean, for example, think about this. When you and I played sports in school, uh, there was a time in the, in, in the late 80s, I remember going to get water and a coach yelling at me, don't you drink no water! You need more of them salt tablets! You know, there was of a time course. we thought that was a thing to do. There was a time when, when people would, would, you would, bleeding was a method, was a medical treatment <laughs> method. You know, bleeding. I think he needs to be cut again. Let him bleed a bit more, sir. I mean, now. Uh, I I do wonder if we're going to look back and say, my God, the masks were pure genius. Uh, The subways in New York, that was a big mistake. Those should have been shut down immediately. Absolutely. Uh, I wonder if we're going to say, my gosh, maybe we should not have arrested a, a mom and her kids in a playground. But then maybe the inverse is true. Maybe, maybe. Those people at the beach who the, the kids running around a, a keg in Panama City Beach, maybe they should be arrested. I mean, I just wonder how, how history is going to show this as we go forward. And what's what's weird is, is if you study anything like back during the, the last big flu pandemic we had, what is that, 1917, 1918, 1919? Yeah. Yep. In October of 1918, over 200,000 Americans died. Okay, think about how crazy this is. In The State of the Union for Woodrow Wilson in the year 1919, there was not a syllable, not a word about the flu. Is that right? Nothing. Now, go back to 1917. Read the State of the Union. Not a word about it. Read it the, let's see, in 18 and even 19, even in 20, where he was, I believe he was incapacitated when when he was 20. He was on the way out. But no mention... Of of the influenza by the president of the United States. Now I'm not getting into politics. I'm just saying how
1: fascinating. So
2: many things have changed. The expectations we have now with our leaders, it's completely different. And I and I understand it. And I think it's for the better. But it just shows you how how we have evolved in some ways and maybe devolved in others. It's very very interesting.
1: I know you're. With what you do, you know your focus primarily is, is is weather. With when when you're on on the air, when you're talking to people that are on the air, when you're working with reporters, it's it's weather oriented. But there's, I know there's there's we all have this conversation in media, and so I'm sure that you have it as well. Is is it your opinion that that uh, the media as a whole, the national media, has done a good job with this? Have they done a poor job? Has it? Are there's a criticism of the national media that that it's almost like there's people say, you know, it's almost like the national media is cheering for the virus. They, they, they want this. They want the news cycle for the ratings they, or they want the news cycle because they, they don't like the sitting president and and it's an election year or, or there's, there's a lot of criticism of, of media as a whole, as it pertains, especially to the national media. You know, a lot of these people, I know a lot of these people. Do you think the criticism is, is unfounded or is it exaggerated or is it fair?
2: Oh gosh we are we are so sensitive I think and, and everything everything has been politicized and and if it, if it wasn't this I, I think it, it would be something else uh, is is some of it without naming names is it fair um, again it's it, it's like like everything else and this is that's this the, that is the biggest issue with this is the uncertainty of all of it Um if we go six months down the road and we find out that it was the biggest mistake in the world for Georgia to open up, or say for for Florida to do what they did, then a lot of these people who are very—I'm not saying they're pro—they're pro shutdown, but 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 speaking out well against against those moves by by those governors and by those states—they're going to look like pure geniuses. Now, if the inverse is true, then then it, the the people who are—I guess you could say—pre opening are going to look like geniuses i think it's too early to say yeah uh maybe the safest thing in the whole world to do is is just do the who who, what when why where and how and not express express any opinion or if you are expressing opinion you're no longer i don't i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say
1: you know what's interesting so if if you had a time machine to, to here's kind of the deal this is what this is why this is really interesting to me kind of how we do this like go let's go back we'll go back to that Auburn at Ole Miss game I think it's September the 19th I think it's the scheduled date roughly yeah. if, I, if I don't have the exact date right I apologize to all the Auburn and Ole Miss no, fans listening um, but it's roughly then if I could give you a time machine and let you get to at the middle of that week leading up to that game and you could tell me how you felt about it we'd know a whole lot like if you were looking at that going man I just you know, Aaron, I don't think we can take the kids to that. I I, I think it's too dangerous. Yeah. Then that would tell you that, boy, that we we didn't overreact. This is this thing is still just hovering over us. And on the flip side, if I told you that you you said, yeah, I mean, let's go. I mean, maybe we're going to be a little careful in the grove, and maybe we're going to make sure that we've got our hand sanitizer, and and uh, maybe we're going to keep our eyes on the kids and remind them to keep their their hands out of their face, and and all the things that I think is, are going to be ironed into our heads because of this then it tells you that kind of we're beginning to either get back to normal or it's kind of back to normal or back to what will be a new normal
2: Yeah, I guess I guess the best way I could answer your, what you asked me because I gave you no answer I guess my answer would be if going to the Grove, I I hope it would be a yes by this fall yeah. that's the fairest answer I can give you yeah. I, I hope it would be a yes uh, you know it's funny though too as a dad and, and I know you feel the same way uh, if it's just me, if I am making the decision for myself, I'll find a way to go. Yeah. But you bring in the kids, you bring in my wife, and that changes everything. And and you as a father of, of three and a an amazing wife, I mean, you, you, you just it, – it, you look at the world differently. You truly do.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because my oldest just turned 19 on Friday, and uh, she had – Happy
2: birthday, Campbell.
1: Happy birthday. She had one of her uh, really – her sorority big sister, who's a year older than her, is a great, great kid, young – person whatever uh, came and we you know Campbell needed to see her, some of her friends she needed some normalcy and and uh it wasn't a want it was a need and we let we let her in you know yeah sure come on and and you know it was great they had a great time and and you could tell there was some normalcy and uh her uh her college roommate came down for the day on on Friday didn't spend the night or anything but just spent a little time and it was a Huge lift for her emotionally to see her, and you know, just like, hey, in a couple of weeks, can we all get together, three or four of us, get together in, in Fayetteville, and and uh, just hang out in a in a Airbnb or a what a VRBO or whatever. And I know there are parents out, and I'm not saying these parents are wrong. I know there are parents out there that are saying absolutely not. And my answer has changed from mm, I don't think that's a great idea to okay, and it's kind of okay because of the mental health aspect of this with young people. I see it. I see it in my kids. In two of my three kids, I can tell this has done not irreversible damage, I would certainly hope, but it's done some damage. I'm curious with yours. You've got four and... So 13 down to six, you've got a little range there. How are how are your kids hanging in there emotionally with not getting to see their friends, not getting to see their teachers, not getting to, to play their, their – do their games or, or dance teams or, or cheer teams or whatever it is that they're into, they're not getting to do it right now. How are they handling it?
2: It's They're all different. They're all different. I mean, it's funny uh... – they're all the same genetic material. They're treated the same stimuli, and we've got four entirely different outcomes, and that's the way they've always been. And and my oldest, Aniston, uh, she, she's so wise in the sense that, that she's disappointed that she wasn't able to finish her, her middle school year, and but she's also – smart enough to know that, that there are people who aren't finishing high school. There are people aren't, that are probably able to to go through graduation and college. Uh, the, the, she's very, very cognizant of that, which is, which is wonderful. Uh, Landry, who is my 11-year-old, she she's having a tougher time. She's much more social. Uh, I will tell you that her birthday, her 11th birthday, was on, on March 31st. And that was difficult because all the kids want the parties and that kind of thing. Yeah. And we were we were sitting out on the front lawn taking it easy. And we lived in a cul-de-sac and everything was quiet and the birds were chirping. And then we heard it. And then we heard it again. And we heard more of it. And it was beeping. Cars beeping. And a line of cars came from all the way down the street, came to her cul-de-sac, turned around. They were all her friends, her parents, driving them. So cool. Going by the way. Oh, dude, I was crying my eyes out. Yeah. And, and uh. It's it's uh, it has been really tough on these kids in some ways. Uh, my son Patterson, uh, he's 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 the kid who hates school, so in many respects he <laughs> does enjoy being home. He's that guy. Yeah. And then Maris, my demon baby, my my uh, six year old, she just kind of goes with the flow. So there's there's a little bit of everything. But I got to tell you, man, I I've become much more emotional, especially seeing Dad in in uh, on my daughter's birthday. Uh, it's funny how this when you have something like this, we expose our best selves in many ways. Sure. It's it's pretty neat. It's pretty pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. It's, it's been neat to see uh, what you just described. uh, Kids supporting kids. I've always said this, that people make fun of this generation and they're so much smarter than we were at that age. In large large part, yeah, they've been exposed to everything. There's so much more temptation. There's so much more access to everything. uh, You know, it's just it 's a different they live in a different world and and uh, i don't know i ive 've I've thought it i've 've kind of enjoyed watching them um uh, especially my girls they They do those zoom classes and or not zoom classes but zoom meetings where they talk to their friends and Caroline's real into dance and they they have zoom dance now where they 've gone from yep. hey we 're just talking to now we 're dancing and they 're trying to figure out how to dance how to choreograph dance when you can't all be in the same place, which sounds to me impossible. But apparently, they've made some progress, which is kind of cool. I mean, I just think I think kids are are more resourceful than we give them credit for, and I think we all are in many ways. It's it's we've it's it's forced us to um it's forced us to find new ways to do our jobs and and to uh, to cope and and all of those things. So you know when we're we,
2: evolving. You're actually yeah. right. My, my wife actually teaches dance. Uh, we've got a studio downstairs. Uh, and, and yeah, she's been still teaching classes by using Zoom. It's it's all about adaptation. We've all been adapting. All about adaptation. Um, but uh, it is it is it is fascinating. I'm telling you, man. I think I think long term. Although we're swimming in the middle of it right now, and and hopefully we're we're going to start seeing a little more of the 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 light at the end of the tunnel. I think long term we're going to be better people for it. I really do believe that. Now, it's weird when, when we go and cover severe weather events, especially hurricanes. There are there are people in the industry that do things and enjoy parts of it in, in different measures. For example, there's some people that are they're, they're pre-storm people. They like the presentation of, of building up for the storm. There are some that like to be in the middle of it as its say a hurricane is coming on shore, and then there are the aftermath people. And I consider myself to be an aftermath guy, and, and the reason for it is because of, of not. The temperatures, the dew points, the highs, the lows, the fronts, the 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 storms itself. It's it's the the human story about about how weather affects people. I gotta tell you perfect example, being in in Houston after Hurricane Harvey, having these people coming over from Louisiana, they called them the Cajun Navy in bass boats.
1: I remember that. Yeah.
2: And they were they were helping people whose faces they had never seen, whose names they didn't know. And, and seeing this outpouring of humanity to help help others, man, you just burst into tears watching it. It's yeah. just the coolest thing in the whole world. And so I'm, I'm in, in little bits of that, like like Jay Tate, our friend was talking about. Uh, I guess they were putting signs up of all the graduating seniors in yeah. their yards, and and my daughter's birthday and other birthdays, and and and. People seeing their parents, they can't see them inside the hospital, but holding signs up, Mom and Dad, we love you, just little gestures, we're seeing the best of who we are. And there's that's, it's like we're tapping a brake, so to speak, and and just catching our breath for a moment. And if that, that may be, at least that's the silver lining of all this. And and I hope that's a great lesson that we learn. I hope that we don't forget it when normal comes back, no matter what it looks like. I hope somehow some of that stays with us. The good stays with us. And it's get, always, get it, rid of
1: that. It's, it's always good. been with us. I, I remember, I, I, and I know I've kept you way too long. We're, as we wrap up, I can, you tell that story. The one thing I remember most about when we moved, we moved over to Spanish fort from mobile, uh, because we thought we were going to be there forever. And, and, uh, we were there, we, you know, built our, it was our first new house as a couple. And, and, uh, you know, we were super excited, and and uh, it was 2000. I guess what was that? 2007. And uh, and and Ivan came through and did real damage. So we had gone up to Birmingham. My wife's parents were in Birmingham at the time, and uh, we went up to Birmingham and and took the kids. And and um, I guess Ivan came through on a Thursday night. And Laura was so worried about the house, and so she woke me up, and she's like, "Can you? Will you drive down and and go see the house?" And I'm like, "Are you serious?" And and she's like, "Yeah." And, And so I did, and I remember getting down there, and there was real damage done. I mean, our fence was all destroyed, and we boarded up the house, but trees were down, and it was a mess. And I had to go back to – I had to go cover Auburn LSU on that Saturday afternoon. They played the game. I remember that whole day thinking, are they going to play? And sure enough, they played. And so I covered that game on a Saturday afternoon. I drove from Auburn to Birmingham – and we got up super early, and I remember dreading the drive back Reynolds to to, yep. to Spanish Fort because I was going to have to get to work. You know, and we had young kids and two dogs, and it was going to be a nightmare. And the one memory of that, we had just moved there, didn't really know many p- many people. Yeah, all these people showed up in our backyard with four wheelers and chainsaws and all this stuff, and helped us clear our backyard and uh, helped us put the kind of. Rigged the fence where it would you know serve until we could get it permanently fixed um yeah. and and it was just so cool and people helping people and i'm like yeah, most of you people don't really know me yet and, yeah. and all that and that was you know that was the one thing and so when ivan came that next year i told laura you know she took the kids up to birmingham and i said i'm just gonna stay and, and it was a large part because of what i'd seen i thought if it's bad i'm gonna be here to help people and and, and you know, obviously it was not particularly bad where we were. It was really bad to the West, as you well know. But but it, you know, that, that you're right. People the bad things do bring out the the best in people, and I think I think we'll see that moving forward.
2: Absolutely. No no question about it. Got it to, gotta to stay optimistic. And you can't can't have the alternative. Well, I got to tell you, man.
1: I've uh, really enjoyed it. I know you got to go. I appreciate it so much. Next time we get you on, I'm gonna get you on uh, Greatest Pod in the South, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk some college football. We'll get your thoughts. We'll, I tell you what, we'll do. I'll get you on with me and Jay, and we'll do some over unders and and get your thoughts on some of these teams, and we'll find out whether you're a uh, a, a Malzahn uh, a Malzahn guy or not.
2: Absolutely, uh, man. Uh, last thing: any any human being, any man who works in Mobile, Alabama, and has to make the commute to Auburn that far. <laughs> You deserve. You deserve the corner table, high top, with a cold beer in a frosty mug for the rest of your life.
1: Man, it's so funny. I, I mean, I I could make that trip blindfolded. By the time I'm it was sure. done, I mean Evergreen Greenville uh and then you get to montgomery and then you go over and and (laughs) i've told this story i walked into that hilton garden inn i guess it was technically in opelika i always thought of it in auburn i started i started staying there as soon as it was built and that day that i walked in and the girl said welcome home mr mccrady i said oh boy this is this is this is not good and uh, you i I was there a lot I, i enjoyed my years covering auburn i tell people i have a soft spot for auburn i i I had my jogging routes on that campus and, and all sorts of stuff. I had no ties at all to auburn and and to this day, I really have a soft spot for it.
2: I totally understand well, man, I'll tell you what take advantage of this situation of being home by by enjoying your family. I'm enjoying mine, and if uh that's what we come away with more bonding with our with our with our babies and, and our brides then then we come' we're, then we're winners you know that that's what it's all about.
1: thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, and uh we'll get you on again soon. I hope
2: out brother. Take
1: care, man. Stay Bye. safe. Bye. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. One day we're going to get back to normal when we do. A lot of parties to catch up on. A lot of get-togethers uh, that will – Need to take place, that will want to take place, wedding receptions, rehearsal dinners, graduation celebrations, and more. And the Iron Horse Grill is your answer to be able to enjoy that moment. It's a one stop shop for beverage services for a 250 to 500 person wedding or even a 3,500 person gala. It's the largest beverage caterer in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601 398 0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill Make your event one that is memorable forever. Uh, we're also brought to you by Dead Soxy. We've been telling you about this is an incredibly strange time. We're all living in. Millions of us all over the world have been impacted by these unusual events. And the Dead Soxy team hasn't been immune to that situation either. Uh, they've uh, faced some tough choices. And what they've done is instead of cutting costs and jobs, they're thinking about things a little differently. They want to keep their team intact, paid, and employed. And they need your help to make it happen. In the spirit of people helping people, they've decided to run a first of its kind support sale. They have slashed their prices site wide $6, $9, $11 a pair. They'd rather you get their socks discounted so they can keep paying their team rather than worrying about margins at times like this. It's DeadSoxy.com, D E A D S O X com. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with the Nest and Wild mattress. It's a Mississippi based mattress company making a high quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8 inch or 10 inch mattress, but not Nest and Wild. Every one is 12 inches thick. They're all American made. And it's a uh, fantastic deal because we're throwing in a podcast discount. Go to nestandwild.com, order your mattress. Enter the podcast code REBEL20, that's REBEL20, get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust, based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. Cookie cutter financial planners put you in a box. Pinnacle Trust builds a box just for you. To learn more, go to pintrust.com. That's P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mentioned you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast, you'll get 10% off your first year's fees. And we're brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles, great lease deals as well. Been with us a long time. We'd appreciate you staying uh, loyal to them as well here in these weird times. You are in a you, you want a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan is where you need to head. It's Nissan grenada.nissanusa.com
0: Thanks to Neil and Reynolds there for giving us that interview. We're going to jump back right on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline and here's Neil's interview with Anna Berry, again, higher education consultant, talking a good bit about colleges and universities and what the fall could look like at those.
1: Anna Berry, uh, Zach Berry's much better half, kind enough to uh, join us here on the podcast. Anna works for an educational consultancy that helps kids applying to college we're going to kind of leave it at that. We're going to leave it sort of generic. We don't want to get too specific with who she works for, or what she does, but she is uh, pretty connected, very connected with higher education, with uh, plans that are being made here as we tape this on uh, May the 4th, late in the afternoon on May the 4th, with kind of plans for what's going on at colleges around the country. So uh, Anna, thanks for spending some time.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: So let, let's start here. I know you uh, y- you deal with a lot of kids getting ready for college. This is uh, normally a pretty hectic time. I think most kids probably by now have made decisions or, uh, are finalizing decisions. They're, they're, they're finalizing scholarship stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a busy time. And then you've got the other thing that's going on is juniors, like in my house as a high school junior, who is starting to, I think, feel the not pressures, the right word, but she can feel the clock ticking.
3: And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she, you know,
1: she wants to make a decision. She wants to, uh, kind of get get started on some of the scholarship stuff she wants to take the act one more time she made the score that she she wanted to make needed to make but now she wants to take it again and try to do better the act shut down there's a lot going on and yet nothing's happening
3: yeah (laughs) and that's kind of what we've just been dealing with every day is there's so much unknown and, and we've been so busy just basically being like Yeah, like we're trying to keep up with everything that's going on, but also we just really don't have a clear picture of, you know, what the next, you know, two to three to six months are going to look like.
0: So
1: let's start here. What is your opinion as we, I know this is, it's hard to answer generically because different schools are in different places and different schools have different philosophies and, and there's a lot going on, but just in general, what is your sense of what the fall is going to look like on college campuses around the country?
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of schools come out and say you know we're definitely going to be open this fall you've had a few be like oh we're planning for online but we're trying to be open and you know colleges they want to be open this fall they I mean they have to be they need that tuition money they need kids on campuses you know spending money in the bookstore and uh you know all that stuff they they want to be open but you know they're kind of at the mercy of you know, what's happening locally, they're kind of at the mercy of their local health departments, whatever is happening in their local cities. So, you know, I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is colleges giving kind of their, their hopeful statements, you know, we're definitely going to be open this fall, because May first was the reply by date. So most schools have May first as their date for seniors to say, okay, I'm going to deposit, I'm going to go there in the fall. So schools are definitely feeling the pressure last week to be like, okay, well, what are you guys doing so that I can make a decision? Um, A lot of schools have pushed that off to June 1st. There are about three or 400 schools that have said like, oh, you can reply to us by June 1st. But there was still a ton that had May 1 as their reply by date. So I think a lot of what we were seeing last week, schools coming out saying they're definitely going to be open was to kind of nudge some kids in the right direction to be like, okay, well, they said they're going to be open. So I'm going to make my deposit and I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going there for the fall because colleges are definitely worried about their enrollment numbers. Um, I was actually reading uh, something about a survey today that's projecting that enrollment for um, just U.S. students at public universities could be down by almost 20% this fall. Wow! So colleges, yeah, colleges are definitely worried. And so a lot of them are coming out right now and saying like, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to be open because they really want to push those kids to go ahead and make a decision so that they can plan for their enrollments and see what their class looks like. And if they do need to go to the wait list because they are under enrolled. So there are a lot of moving pieces that are going on right now, but I mean, I think we can definitely say that they, they don't know. I mean, they're coming out and saying, Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to be open this fall, but you know, they don't know for sure. And um, I think that's the reality that a lot of families have to kind of grapple with right now is, you know, I think based on what I've seen, what I've heard, our is talking about and people in the industry, I think it's going to be some sort of hybrid. I think it's going to be, you know, colleges are definitely going to try to have campuses open, but I think it's going to be a bit of a hybrid of maybe smaller in-person classes. And then, you know, your larger lecture halls might be a virtual experience. I've seen where colleges are um, exploring, you know, turning like, you know, campus ballrooms into lecture halls, you know, that they have bigger spaces to kind of spread students out. I've seen where some schools are talking about, renting out casino space and like uh, using hotel rooms for students um, so that students can have single rooms rather than, you know, double or triple or quadruple rooms uh, or, you know, students to a room. So they're exploring a lot of options and they're trying to get creative with it. But I think it's going to be inevitable that we're going to have some sort of hybrid model where it's going to be limited in person and some virtual.
1: And then on these campuses, they're going to have to address the the medical portion of this, right? I mean, before, before parents send kids off to school, okay, what if, what if my kid gets coronavirus and he or she tests positive and you have to quarantine them? Where is that? Where does that quarantine happen? How does that work? Yeah.
3: And you're seeing that factor into a lot of people, a lot of students' decisions too. Um, A survey uh, probably two weeks ago that was um, looking at, you know, our students changing their decision on where they're going to go to college based on what's happening right now. And there were a lot of students who said, you know, I'm actually thinking about going somewhere closer to home so that I can, you know, drive instead of fly if it turns out that, you know, my roommate has COVID and we need to, you know, I need to isolate or there's an outbreak on campus and I don't feel safe anymore and I can just drive home. So, there's definitely, it's, it's factoring into students' decisions and it's definitely factoring into college's decisions. Um, that's one thing that I've heard a lot is, um, you know, colleges are, so, you know, right now there are lawsuits going on. Students want their tuition money back from certain schools. Um, they're saying, you know, this wasn't what I signed up for. I don't think I got my bang for my buck. Give me my money back. Um, and so, Colleges are definitely feeling that, you know, on top of the financial hit that they're already taking, you know, they're definitely they're dealing with this litigation, which, you know, can drag out for a long time. So, you know, in the near future, you know, it's not like they'll be financially impacted by that, you know, too soon. But it is a concern for colleges, you know, okay, say we open in the fall and there is an outbreak on campus. College presidents are definitely worried about the prospect of students suing for that, too, saying, oh, you put us in unsafe conditions, by bringing us back too soon when it wasn't safe or when it, you know, wasn't it went against local guidelines. So that's definitely top of their mind too that that I've seen explicitly stated that colleges are worried about the the prospect of lawsuits should they, you know, open and there be an outbreak on campus.
1: At the end of the day, Anna, who's going to make these decisions? I mean, and because you know, it's like my daughter goes to University of Arkansas. That's a completely different setting than than say Stanford where, you know, mm-hmm. you, you've had a different deal or you know, obviously a kid who goes to Ole Miss, the, 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 the environment here from a strict, strictly speaking COVID is completely different than say St. John's or Mm -hmm. uh, NYU or something. I mean, how, how does that, how does that, uh, who, who makes that call?
3: Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think, you know, for a lot of schools, you're just kind of at the mercy of what's happening locally, you know, especially for a lot of public institutions, you know, if you're, you know, in say Knoxville and Knoxville still saying, oh well you can't have, you know, um groups of fifty or more in a in a spot when the campus opens, you're kind of at the mercy of what happens, you know, locally. Um, you know, for private institutions it's very different. I think, you know, the top priority is students, obviously. You know, there a school like NYU isn't going to put their students in any sort of danger. Well, no schools are going to put their students in danger, but NYU, for example, you know, they are in New York City where we are seeing, you know, this this massive outbreak. Um, students are, you know, it's a densely populated place in general. Students are in densely populated dorms. So they're definitely going to have to come up with some contingency plan there to figure out, yeah, how do we get students on campus and keep them safe? Um, because, Yeah, it is going to be very different for an NYU as opposed to yeah, an Ole Miss that's in a smaller town that maybe hasn't seen any cases and um, you know might have a better um, or might have looser restrictions in place.
1: Um, I know you're not you live with a a sports nut, but I don't know how, (laughs) how big of a sports nut you are when you. When you talk to uh, to schools, do you get a feel for whether they're confident about sports happening on campus this fall?
3: Uh, you know, that's the question. I mean, obviously, we talk about that a lot in my house, um, <laughs> that it, it's hard to say. You know, it, one thing that we have um, seen a lot is is the impact that not having sports has had on colleges financially. Um it's a big blow. I mean, you know, you don't have baseball, basketball season, March Madness was, you know, didn't happen. And so a lot of schools that, you know, I was talking to Zach um about this, but you know, some of the best marketing you could do as a college is sports. I mean, sure. you, you know, you hear anecdotally about, you know, oh, this school like had like a Cinderella run in the in, you know, March Madness and, you know, they had these application spikes, you know, happen in the fall. That's totally true. That definitely happens. And so you know, it, you're seeing schools that are feeling the financial hurt from not having, you know, not having baseball, not finishing out the basketball season. And then the prospect of football not coming back is very scary. Um, but just because I mean, it's, it's just a huge financial toll. So I think schools are going to do everything possible to have sports in the fall. It's just at the end of the day, it might not be be up to them. And that's what's so unfortunate. You know, if you're living in a city that still has a regulation that says, okay, well, you can't have sporting events or more than 100 people in a place, you know, how are you going to have that sporting event, you know, especially, you know, say football, I mean, you've got 100 people on the sideline right there. So you definitely can't have spectators, how do you decide, you know, what's going to happen on the side. So I mean, there, there are just a million things that people have to consider. And, I want. I you know. I went to South Carolina. Zach went to Ole Miss. Like we're a big football household. My stepdad's a football coach. Like we love football. We want football. But I've told Zach I was like I'm. I'm not confident it's going to be. You know, it's definitely not going to be the experience that we're used to. And it will be interesting to see. You know, are there going to be some schools that can have it and some schools that don't? So how does that affect your schedule? What does that look like? It's it's going to be really interesting to see how this fall plays out. But I mean, I do think colleges are going to do everything in their power to have sports as fall. Well, it's just going to look very different than what we're used to.
1: How much has this, in your opinion, changed the the face of higher education moving forward one way or the other? I mean, all these schools now have, you know, whether it's Ole Miss or South Carolina or Arkansas or Auburn or whatever, they've, they've had to discover just how unprepared or prepared they were uh, to go online. I know that uh, my daughter Campbell's had different experiences. I mean, some, some classes were uh, were pretty prepared and, and have kind of con- continued on seamlessly others that is not the case uh, schools now like these big schools like South Carolina like LSU Ole Miss whatever th- they're going to have to perfect the online portion of this now moving forward right
3: oh yeah for sure and, and I mean that, that's what a lot of schools are you know kind of preparing for right now is the reality of a, a you know a vir- mostly virtual fall so what does that look like you know how can we best prepare our students for that, our professors for that, you know, and that's really the big thing that's happening right now is they're really, you know, looking at their, their courses and being like, okay, what can we put online? What can we not put online? You know, who can, you know, how can we get our professors up to speed to make this a more seamless process? Because, you know, that's not how the traditional college model was built, you know, it's built to be in person. And so I do think it is impressive that colleges were able to make this shift so quickly Um, you know, obviously in some areas it was lacking for, you know, certain schools and certain students. But, um, I think now that they've kind of had their, you know, kind of unfortunately time test run, you know, they have the summer to really, you know, get their act together and figure out what that's going to look like.
1: In a nightmare scenario where a school just can't open in the fall, what's that going to do to enrollment? I mean, I I look at it and I think if that were to happen, you know, where where my my daughter goes to school, would I... would I pay, I'm not paying out-of-state tuition. And, you know, her out-of-state tuition got waived, but I'm not paying full tuition for her to go online only. It, it makes no sense. It's not a good enough experience. It's not the college experience. As you as you referenced, you know, when you went to South Carolina, you weren't there just for the, the academics. I mean, there was a social thing to it. You learned, you had to grow up, all those things. If you take that part of it away, it doesn't have the same value. And if, if universities aren't going to be flexible on that, they're going to see a a dramatic drop in enrollment, I would guess.
3: Oh yeah. And, and, you know, we've seen that too, just in terms of students, you know, who have gotten into um, school for the fall and they're like, maybe I want to defer a year. You know, if, if the school isn't going to be open in the fall, you know, if I'm going to, you know, school in a big city and I'm kind of questionable about whether or not they're going to be open by the fall. Yeah. Do I just defer my enrollment for a year? And that's definitely a question that's come up, you know, deferring enrollment for a year, taking a gap year. Um, going to community college for a semester. I mean, those are all options that have been explored and are on the table. And it really depends on a case-by-case basis. You know, my my personal opinion is, you know, if you're about to be an incoming freshman, um, if you have the fall online, like, that, that sucks and that's not what you signed up for. And you would hope that, obviously, the tuition would reflect that to be seen if it would, you know, if, you know, they have, if the school has an online, you know, Online only fall if they discount their tuition rates you know that remains to be seen but my opinion is, is is like you said you know you're not there for you're not there just for the education you're there for the college experience and I you know if you're in a position to where you know having a semester you know online in the fall is you know financially you know Feasible for you, I I would go ahead and do it because you know what you're you're making a decision not just for the fall but for the next four years of your life and so you know students put so much heart and soul into applying to college and they put so much of their you know dreams and ambitions into it and to yeah look at the fall as a prospect of oh my gosh I might not be able to go like that sucks but I think you can also. Adjust, you know, if you're able to, there are definitely students that financially wouldn't be able to do it. You know that they're like, this just isn't going to make sense for me. I can't do it, and that's perfectly fine too. You know, everyone has a unique situation. But you know, for students that are, you know, super concerned, I I would just say, you know, kind of take a step back, and I, I think that you know, if you have one fall, one semester online, like that's, you know, not the worst thing because then you have seven other semesters to do all the other things that you wanted to do. So. You know, I'm I'm trying to, like, have a positive outlook for students because I, you know, I I don't think it's going to be persistent for the rest of your college experience. You know, the fall is definitely going to be affected and certainly the spring, too. I mean, this isn't going away anytime soon, but it's the next four years of your life. And so I think it's it's important for families to really just kind of sit back and kind of decide, you know, OK, do I, you know, am I discounting this college because I just really wanted that fall experience or, you know, are, or do I have bigger concerns at mind? So I don't know. I, I think that, you know, it's just really important for everyone to definitely look at the short term, you know, what's going to fall the fall, going to look like, how can I adjust, you know, do I want to do community college for a semester? You know, what does that look like for me, but also look at the bigger picture, you know, does the next four years look like for me? Is it worth it for me to do a fall online so that I can get the next three to three and a half years of the experience that I wanted?
1: You know the other thing is a lot at, at a lot of schools. Financial aid is tied, the 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 percentage of financial aid is tied to standardized scores, ACT, SAT, whatever. Mm-hmm. Kids haven't had an opportunity to keep taking that test because it's been shut down. What, what, when's the, if, at least at this point, from what you're hearing, when's the next time that kids are going to have an opportunity to take those tests?
3: Yeah, I mean, right now it's looking like it's going to be late in the summer, early fall. So the SAT is canceled. Um, and the ACT says they're going to go on for June. I I don't see that happening. Um, we're kind of all expecting the ACT to just go ahead and cancel those those June exams. Um, so I mean, it's not going to be until late summer, early fall that students can test again. Um, I know the SAT did add another date um, in September, um, and the ACT is also exploring adding other dates. You know, it's 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 such a weird time because you know these tests are. Um, they're important, obviously, you know, for the college admissions process. Um, a lot of schools are going test optional. Um, you know, you see some more selective like liberal arts schools are going test optional saying you can still apply without a test score, you know, either temporarily for this upcoming admission cycle, or um, I think the number is like 1100 schools in the US are, you know, technically test optional. So there are definitely options, you know, where you can still apply and you don't need the score. But yeah, I mean, you need it for merit aid, you need it for scholarships. So um, you know, our, our advice, oops, our advice for students right now is to, um, you know, really look at when the next time you can take it in, which is going to be late in the fall. Um, and just really, you know, if you've already taken, you know, in the case of your daughter, if you've taken it and you've gotten a really great score that you want, then just don't worry about it, you know, because your options are going to, your options for retesting are going to be limited. They're going to be so many kids trying to retest. And if you've already gotten a score that you really like and that you're really confident with, then, you know, you don't really have to take it again. Um, but it is really stressful for for families because there are so many limited options. Um, the SAT and the ACT have said that they are going to roll out at home tests. Um, those probably won't happen. They've said the winter. So that probably won't happen until, you know, around or right after this next um, admission cycle's applications are due. Um, but also no one knows what that looks like and, um, if that's, (laughs) (laughs) no one knows what that looks like or if it's even going to (laughs) work.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, immediately uh, you come up with so many questions. I mean, what would stop you from, you know, what what would stop somebody from, from having someone come take the test for them? I mean, that, that, you know, I mean, other than, Oh
3: yeah. There's so many security questions. Well, you know, the AP exams are online this year and you know, they basically said for AP exams, they're like, okay, well. You know, we have anti plagiarism software. Everyone's taking the test at the same time. So, like, technically you can't cheat. But, like, it's and its open note. Yeah. But um, <laughs> there are so many questions on, like, whether or not that, you know, that is um, a realistic scenario for these at-home tests. But the SAT and ACT have said they're going to roll them out because they, you know, the, the testing agencies, you know, this is a huge, a huge market. Um, yeah. And test scores aren't just important for students. I mean, they're important for schools, too, test scores. Um, you know, factor into rankings, U.S. News and World Report rankings, those are really important to schools. Um, test scores can impact their rankings, which can impact their bond ratings, which can impact how they get loans for projects. Like, there, there are so many other factors into test scores rather than just helping students get in. So, um, you know, I don't think these tests are going to go away anytime soon. They're definitely shifting, but there is definitely a really a vocal support within um, college admissions to really do away with these tests because, um, you know, there are, you know, concerns with how, how are we going to take them this year, but also just long-term, you know, there are a lot of barriers to test for some students um, and just, you know, overall kind of a question of how much do they really, you know, inform the admissions process, Um, you know, how does, you know, taking one test on one Saturday, you know, for three hours compare to your whole academic career. So, it, it, there are a lot of questions. And I, I definitely think that this is going to be kind of a reckoning, at least on the testing side. You know, how how many more schools go test optional? Um, does this really impact how we take the test in the future? You know, if they roll out an at-home exam that's successful, does that make, you know, test scores, you know, this testing more accessible? And so then, you know, more people are taking it. So, it is really gonna be interesting to see um how this all evolves over the next you know six to twelve months
1: yeah our daughter, the one that's in high school has uh several like, three or four AP classes that she's got tests later in, the, in month later this month of May and it's already been you know the the gamut has been dropped hey during these hours, no one can be on their computers in our <laughs> house and you know that conversation's happening everywhere and somewhere. Some poor boy or girl is going to have his or her router go out like it happened to me last week. Something's going to happen where they literally can't finish the test and it's going to be such a panic. And it just, it's just a whole new set of circumstances that I don't know, you know, we ever even foresaw. I'm sure you foresaw them, but I never thought about them. And, and here we are.
3: Oh, yeah. It's, it's been just, it's it's been really interesting to see how everyone adapts to it, you know, especially you know the AP exams going online and and how yeah you know virtual instruction has gone. So it's been interesting to see how people adapt. Kind of in the moment, it will be even more interesting to see how people innovate moving forward. Uh,
1: last thing, and I'm cur- just curious, you kind of you, you you mentioned enrollment being down twenty percent. That means schools are competing even harder for the kids that are out there. The the eighty percent that are still going. Is in some ways, are kids going to benefit from this a little bit? Are kids that otherwise maybe wouldn't have gotten into school, that school choice number one, they might get into it, or kids who maybe weren't going to get as much financial aid are suddenly going to have some more financial aid thrown at them as an incentive to pick that school?
3: Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's been really interesting to watch. So um, uh, last year, um, so NACAC, the um, kind of governing body for um, – this school's admissions process—they um, uh, were facing an antitrust lawsuit from the Department of Education because of um, they had basically uh, had a rule that schools couldn't, um, you know, try to recruit students that had already committed to a school. So, you know, say I had said that I was going to go to Ole Miss, well, South Carolina couldn't like come back to me and be like, "Oh, well, we'll give you some more financial aid if you switch to us." Well, now all those rules are out the window. So it's been really interesting, you know, that that's especially because it went into effect this year that, you know, now we're in this situation where I think students will definitely have an opportunity to benefit. You know, if, you know, you applied to a school and you got a financial aid package that, you know, maybe you weren't that happy with, and now you're facing some financial hardship from this um, from COVID and from the pandemic, you can definitely go back to your, the school that offered you the financial aid package and ask if they can offer you more. I mean, we've heard anecdotally from, students where other schools have reached back out to them to be like, hey, like, we'll up your financial aid package if you decide to enroll with us. Um, Schools are offering all kinds of incentives to students. I've heard, you know, kind of your basic like, oh, like if you enroll, you know, enroll now, you can get a free parking, you know, priority parking spot or priority dorm selection. Um, So there there are all kinds of things that schools are offering students um, to encourage them to enroll. So it's definitely going to be, you know, it can be beneficial for students that are really committed to being like, okay, well, I'm definitely going to go to college this fall. I just need to decide where. Um, And then just moving forward, you know, it is going to be interesting. Um, I I do think it's going to be easier for the transfer admissions process. Um, Historically, transfer admissions have been kind of hard, especially at your top institutions, just because their classes are already filled and there are only so many spots for transfer students. Um, So I do think there will be an easier... um, admissions process for transfer students. Um, And I do think that, um, you know, this fall coming up, applying to college, I mean, it is going to be stressful for students because there are so many unknowns and they have just such a weird application process. But um, I do think, I I don't know if it's going to, you know, at the top institutions, it's always going to be hard to get in, you know, your Harvard's and your Stanford's, they're always going to have their, you know, five point infinity, you know, admit rate, because, you know, that's, what makes them selective and that's the reputation they have to maintain. But I do think that it's some other schools that will be, um, you'll see some higher admit rates. Um, we already saw higher admit rates this spring, um, for some schools, um, just because of, you know, kind of the nature of, um, what's happening. You know, there aren't really as many high school students as there were, you know, 10 years ago. Um, the number of graduating high school students has kind of plateaued. So students are competing for a lower applicant pool. Um, so, and there's uh, a really small
1: year coming, right? It's like 2023 or something where the, the number of, of, uh, high school graduates kind of falls off a cliff.
3: Yeah. I want to say the last projection I saw was like, it was either 23, 24, 25. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that's really when it starts to kind of drop off just because people aren't having as many kids. And so, um, you know, you have, there are over 3000 colleges and universities in the U S all competing for. A smaller number of students. So I definitely think you're going to see admit rates at certain schools go up um, next year for sure. Not that that makes it, quote, easier to get in, but, you know, I think it does make it, um, you know, you have a better chance because you are competing with a, with a smaller applicant pool and, you know, colleges are trying to fill those seats.
1: All right. Last thing, when, when uh, the Rebels and Gamecocks play, I know it's not a, a <laughs> frequent thing. Do you guys have to go to different different places do you have to retreat to your separate corners or is it civil
3: um you know it's it's fairly civil um I will say (laughs) Zach was not the best sport when we went to Oxford last time yeah um but you know it's all is forgiven you know I I always love to throw it in his face that I've been to to the both games where we beat Ole Miss um in football at least um and I want to say the the first time that I went to an Ole Miss basketball game, it was South Carolina playing at Ole Miss in the tad pad. And um out halfway through. <laughs> and so he and I love to joke about that. It's just kind of like the, the epitome of Ole Miss and South Carolina sports right there is you're just in this sad little stadium and then the power goes out halfway through. So <laughs> that was that was a fun experience. But yeah, we're, we we try to be pretty civil. He's he's a little bit more intense than I am, obviously, but one of us has to stay grounded, you know? Yeah.
1: So, uh, if, if there is a season, is this the year the Gamecocks break through and, and, and Muschamp gets it going or is this, does this season end in heartbreak, a loss to Clemson and a coaching search?
3: Uh, I hope not. You know, I, I, and Zach will attest to this. I was not on board with the Muschamp hire when it was made. I was, I didn't like the way that hiring search, that coach searching went. I didn't like the hiring process. I thought it was super messy and I was not a fan of it. And then when we got Champ. I was like, of course, this is like what happens when we just kind of like screw this up. But I am like, I'm on board with Coach Boom. I, I think he's <laughs> been really great with this, with the athletes. Like, and he's really brought this really like a great excitement back to us that we were kind of, you know, really lagging at the end of the Steve Spurrier. I love Steve Spurrier. He was a great coach for us, but there was definitely, you know, kind of a, you know, a pall at the end of it because, you know, we just, we weren't doing as well. We had this really high, high, and then this really steep decline. So, you know, I think he's really injected some incitement excitement back into the program. So I hope he does well this year. I really want him to, because I I want him to stick around.
1: I just want there to be a season. And then if we get to have a season, I I catch myself sort of cheering for everybody. So uh, hopefully Hopefully we have a season and and it all works out and, and um, you guys can watch the rebels and the Gamecocks routinely. And that would be good news for everyone involved. Hey, yes, exactly. Anna, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it.
3: No, thank you.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: Welcome to this week's ask an ortho segment with specialty orthopedic group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho related injuries. They're also offering virtual health telemedicine and here, uh, some more routine things as well. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200, or SOGMS.com. No referrals are needed, and walk-ins are welcome. Roland Robertson joining us this week on the show, knee wrist reconstructions, hip reconstructions, and, uh, and the like. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Oh, doing well. Um, watching it rain right now, actually. Um, but uh, we're doing do, doing good. So let's talk. Let's, let's talk a little hip today. Um, we just get get listener questions submitted throughout the time, and something that I, I guess I typically had, um, had 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 thought it was more of a uh, an, an older person injury for the most part, hip reconstructions that type of thing. And the question they want to know is more. Have there been a lot of advancements? They said they hadn't checked on it in really kind of the last decade or so as far as understanding kind of what's entailed. So kind of take me through what would be necessary for that procedure and then sort of where uh, what, where things stand as far as how that operates in today's uh, today's medical world.
4: Yeah, so for hip replacement as far as indications, typically it's it's severe changes, which typically are osteoarthritis or a vascular uh things that we see but but those are the two most common and by far the most common is just simply osteoarthritis which is just wear and tear of the cartilage over time um and you know this used to be uh something that was done like you said more commonly in the elderly population but um, in the last decade or so it, it has the age um, has creeped down a good bit there's a few reasons for that one The implants are better, so they last longer. So previously, you know, and if you got a hip replacement in the 90s, a lot of times you were told it was going to last 10 years, maybe 12 years. Um, And that's changed, and now, you know, we're looking at 20 years. And I I do see people that had hip replacements in the 90s uh, that still look good. So um, regardless, we we are telling people now 20 years is the goal for a hip replacement. The other reason the age has gotten um, a little lower is one activity—you um, know—people are pretty active and playing higher-level sports and more contact-type sports, and, and have injuries when they're younger that that show up, you know, in their 40s and 50s. And then also just with um, the obesity crisis, we we do see people that have had, have a lot more uh, advanced disease because they're overweight. Um, but regardless, we do treat people now that are much younger than my my, the people I trained under did 20 years ago.
0: What's sort of the... the so, I, I, I guess the process of it and then re- recovery-wise, it seems like it's incredibly good right now because I, mean, I know a couple of people that have had it done. They said they're playing golf pretty quickly after and then obviously it, it overtook the internet last year as Nick Saban was bragging about the things he was able to do quickly after his.
4: Yeah, it's... uh, It has changed significantly since... you know Even from when I was in training, I... You know especially before I was in training, I've been out in practice about six years now. Um, The majority of people in the past had uh, the posterior hip replacement, which is through the back. Uh, It's still a great option. Um, That's how I was trained. And, uh, you know, a a well-done posterior hip. Uh, Patients do great. They recover pretty quickly. Uh, In my fellowship uh, in Nashville, I did a one-year deal on hip knee replacements, and I got to see both the anterior and the posterior, the anterior is through the front. And again, I trained on the posterior and thought it was great, and it is, but the patients just anecdotally seem to do better or recover quicker through the front, so I sort of transitioned to that. And when I came into practice, I strictly did through the front on, on you know, hip replacements that were straightforward. And, of course, I like – I think the anterior is better. Personally, I do that one, but uh, they both – both are, are good options. Um, even with the post the, the recovery is quicker than it used to be. I mean, 20 years ago, you stayed in the hospital five or six days. You know, now my patients, majority of my patients go home the same day. Um, they get up after surgery, go home, let the hip replacement. There's usually not much therapy involved. It's just walking. Um, there's some soreness, obviously. You know, younger male patients, a little more muscular, a little more soreness. And But it, I tell people it feels like a full muscle, and that seems kind of bear out what they come back and tell me is that yeah it felt like a full muscle but there's no limitations for the most part they can do the things they want to do um, after surgery
0: well i i guess the, between those two things the anterior and the posterior does that does that change potentially how long they last or or, or what the what the more long-term prognosis would be
4: no, you know a lot of that's dependent on the implant, but as long as everything goes smoothly and there's no complications, uh, you know there there are low uh, percentage complications, including infection and and dislocation. But as long as those you don't have any of those type issues, the longevity of the joint is is, is similar with both approaches. Um, so that's I tell people at a year, if I did you your hip five ways, you know five. Ways through uh, posterior and five ways through anterior approaches. You you'd walk in here; it'd be hard. I'd have a hard time telling which way I did it. But I will say the first few weeks and months, just anterior is it typically a seems to be a, a quicker, easier recovery. Um, you know, people get back to work pretty quickly. I mean, I have people get back to work, like you said, or get back to playing golf within a week or two. Um, not and everybody's different; has a different recovery. But but it's uh, it is uh much much better than it, than it was 15 20 years ago
0: so it seems like at least as far as some restrictions and and different things in the medical community are starting to open up a little bit what's it been like the uh, the last couple months i mean as far as not necessarily what you've seen but just the day to day i would assume that in some ways a little more challenging but then in some ways not 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 exactly normal either right
4: yeah i mean so i, I did not do a surgery for 6 weeks which that's the first time that's happened since medical school. Um, we started back last week on some very selective uh, patients and, and this week as well. And the next week as more and more things are lifted, we'll ramp back up. But yeah, you know, it's, uh, it was an interesting time for, I guess, for everybody. I mean, but it's sort of nice to have a break and be able to spend time with the family, but um, you know, not being able to do what I've done the past few years every day is, kind of weird. So, um, getting back in the swing of things.
0: So, that's good. Special yeah. with the PD Group, again, Oxford and Tupelo. That's 662-767-4200, SOGMS.com. Again, no referrals needed. Walk-ins are welcome at both locations. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate the time today. All right. Thanks, Jay. That'll do it for today's show. you got the interviews with Reynolds Wolf with Anna Berry and our Ask an Ortho segment this week with Rowan Robertson. So, uh, thanks to all those reviews and then we'll be back tomorrow with our show we'll have our thursday night live show as we've been doing so we'll keep continue to try to bring you content here on the mpw digital network you've had soft verbals mind of my money and more so uh check out all of our podcasts everywhere you find podcasts and bernille and myself we appreciate it and we'll be back again very very soon